Keeping up with friends and family, it's the Hey Day Podcast with Haley and David. Hi y'all, this is the Hey Day Podcast, Episode 7. I'm Haley. And I'm David. And we are Korean-American siblings just out of college. And this podcast is our way of keeping in touch with you, our family and friends all around the world. So today we're going to change things up and I'll actually be hosting today. Yeah, so we'll be talking about learning Korean, specifically the process of learning Korean as a Korean-American. We're going to do this in three rounds. Round one, our Korean language background. Round two, why we're learning Korean. And round three, what we're doing to learn Korean. And if you want to learn too, what you can do to get started. This is a very specific cultural topic, and we'll be talking within the narrow scope of our own respective journeys. There's a broad range of experiences within the Korean-American community and like the Korean diaspora community as a whole. So while we'll try to reflect some of these um, perspectives as best we can, there is no way we can do all of them justice. That's right. We'll also be talking about cultural identity, which is something that can be very difficult for a lot of people. So thanks in advance for your compassion and understanding. All right, so we're going to go ahead and get started. Round one, our Korean language background. Um, Haley, when was the first time you remember hearing Korean? Um, So this isn't so much a memory as it is kind of like, I knew I was hearing Korean. We have a video that's floating around in our like like storage, photo storage file somewhere. And it's a video of me when I was like maybe three or four years old. And I'm, I'm talking to mom in Korean or she's talking in Korean to me and I'm understanding. And so from three or four years old, like I knew Korean, which is wild to think about um, that I knew it. And then after, you know, elementary school and, and starting to go to public school, it's just something that like I never ever used. Um, mm-hmm. So I know I was hearing Korean from that time, like from very young, but I don't actually like have a conscious memory of of Korean until I was probably in elementary school, and my conscious memory would probably be of us going to like our our great aunt or great uncle's house for a Korean holiday celebration, and our family was all speaking Korean, and so that is probably my first memory of hearing Korean and knowing like, oh, that's a foreign language that I don't understand. Mm -hmm. What about you? Um, Similarly to you, I don't, I don't think I remember like the first instance of when I heard Korean. Um, But I was also in that video and mom was speaking to both of us in Korean. And I don't have any recollection, recollection of that because I would have been like one or two at oldest in that video. Um, but the same thing, knowing that mom at one point spoke Korean to us um, and then going to various Korean celebrations uh, and all of our family members speaking Korean and me not being able to understand any of it. Um, so it's kind of interesting that our circumstances made it so that we didn't really have a need on an everyday basis to have to learn Korean um, or even understand input. Uh, because mom and dad both speak English uh, and dad doesn't even speak any Korean. So that's just kind of how things ended up. Um, But I think now it's important to kind of talk about um, our learning process after the fact, you know, like 15 years later, um, (laughs) once we're all grown up, kind of taking the steps to learn Korean. So when did you first start learning uh, Hangul or like the Korean alphabet, right? Yeah, so Hangul is the Korean alphabet. And it's very simple. So I actually learned it in high school. I had um, I had some vague interest in like 
Korean TV programs and in like a little bit of K-pop. So I actually self-taught using like the internet and um, it was a fairly easy process. So probably like my freshman or sophomore year of high school is when I learned Hangul. And you learned not too long after, right? Yeah. So I learned sophomore year of college. So that would have been, oh, five years, five or six years after you did. Um, That's, I think that's about right. But I think I agree with you in terms of Hangul being like a fairly simple alphabet to learn um, because it follows a pretty consistent set of patterns. But that being said, you are learning an entirely new alphabet. But more than just the alphabet, when did you start learning Korean? Um, I guess it's hard to say like, okay, on this day, I started learning Korean. I learned, I started heavily like investing time in learning Korean before I went to Korea in that I was like vaguely studying for maybe a month before I left for Korea. Mm -hmm. I really, okay, if we're being honest, if we're being real here, (laughs) I wasn't studying at all. But like in my head, you know, when you were like, oh, I'm going to study, I'm going to study. And then you think about it so much, like thinking about studying that you feel like you studied already, but you're, you didn't do anything. Yes. That was me for a month before I went to Korea. I was like, yeah, I have like thought about this so much. I actually studied. No. Um, <laughs> so I would say my real learning process uh, of learning Korean started when I went to Korea, like literally day one landing in Korea, having to go through a placement test. And I went through an intensive, um, I went through an intensive six week course learning Korean when I first got there. And so that was probably um, the process. The, the first time I started learning, really learning Korean. So, mm-hmm. and then you, but you've had a head start. You've had a little bit earlier. <laughs> well, I, w- I want to go back to what you were saying for a little bit, because I remember it would have been when I graduated high school, um, uh, our Korean grandpa came to our house for my graduation party, right? And you tried speaking to him in Korean because for some period of time, you had been like trying to learn it. And he, he said, he said to you, oh, don't worry about speaking to me in Korean because he couldn't understand you. And he just tried his best to speak to you in English. So mm. it's not as though um, beforehand you hadn't tried to learn. I think it is more so of like when you went to Korea, that's when you were kind of like forced into learning it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but as far as myself, um, you're right. I have had a head start because what I've been studying for five months now, I think it's been five months or so. Uh, and it hasn't been like intensive, but if you compare me right now with me, um, five or six five months ago, yeah, five <laughs> or six months ago, you, I mean, it's, it's a lot of growth. Um, I think mostly because I have like the time to kind of work through it on my own and uh, kind of find the things that I'm interested in that I, I have shown improvement, but it's definitely not as much as I want to know before going to Korea. Um, so I, I, yeah, I do anticipate kind of struggling when I first land there. I think it's funny that you bring up the fact that we have both tried, independently of each other, we have both tried to learn Korean before this point, before like we knew that we were going to Korea slash we're in Korea. Um, but I think the difference between 
trying to learn on your own in a very in an environment where you don't have anyone really to talk to because like by that point by the time you were graduating high school the only person you knew that spoke korean was mom and at that time i was in college so like the i didn't know anybody that spoke korean like in my daily mm-hmm. life so it was like not something that was very um it was not very like present for us it wasn't like something that we could easily incorporate with the things that we knew at that time. Knowing yes. the things that I know now, I think I, I have very easily incorporated Korean into my everyday life, even though we're like we're in quarantine, we're in self-isolation, and I'm still able to have a large um, exposure to Korean. But like with what I knew at that point, I find it very interesting that we were both not able to grasp and learn as much as we wanted, mm-hmm. um, which is, I mean, it's a skill. It's a skill. Learning how to find resources and learning how to apply them is a skill. And so... I think that's something that definitely helped by going to Korea. I don't think it was so much like, Mm -hmm. you know, to a certain extent it was being in Korea, but also taking that course and being in an intensive program and learning, like, this is how you should study a language. This is how you like apply yourself. And this is how much um, input you should get. And I've done a lot of research on my own, which I will talk about later about different resources and just how best to learn a language and how best to immerse yourself. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, like, the half of knowledge is knowing where to find it. And especially like mm. learning isn't as is a skill that you have to learn how to do. Right. Um, but kind of going back to when you first got to Korea and you're kind of pushed into learning it, what was your Korean level at that point? Because I think we can assume that it, it wasn't enough to kind of get you around at that point. So, so kind of where were you at? First of all, I want to say that quote about half, the half of knowledge. Wait, Half, what is what the is half it? The half of knowledge, of knowledge is knowing is, where to find it. That was very, very smart. Uh huh. Thank you. You looked you looked very smart. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> don't cut that part. Um, <laughs> my my general Korean level before going to Korea. Okay, so what I thought my level was was basic mm. beginner. My actual level was ground zero. Yes. So I think I was under the impression that like the few words that I knew and the little bit like a little bit of vocabulary and being able to read a little bit would like be basic beginner Mm. level. It wasn't, it really wasn't. It's not, it was not nearly enough to get around. Um, I find it funny that you also mentioned, I I totally forgot about that graduation instance where like Haraboji was like, or grandpa was like, um, it's okay. Just like talk to me in Korean. I'll Mm. try to understand because I, like that was me using the limited vocabulary I had and it not making any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I There's a video that mom and I took on our way to the airport. You guys all came together with me um, to the airport to drop me off yep. uh, when I went to Korea. And at that point, we, we took a video with mom and, and she basically had a conversation with me or tried to have a conversation with me in <laughs> Korean in order to get like, oh, this is where you are like before going to Korea. It was awful. I didn't speak any <laughs> Korean. Like, I understood bits and pieces of what she was saying, but I didn't really understand enough to like give a comprehensive answer or respond in turn. You know, like to give my mm-hmm. own answers. And so that was really my Korean level. Basically, nothing. I knew Hangul, the alphabet, which I think any person with a reasonable amount of application could learn in a few hours. Um, so I knew Hangul, and I knew like words for food. Cause that was like important to yes, me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was it. That was it. That was really all I knew before going to Korea. Um, what would you say your level was before starting this past five month journey? 
uh, before starting the, the journey, like the past five months, um, if I was to try and place myself five months ago, it was not even beginner. Like I, I, I probably knew less than you at that graduation party, like respective timeframes, um, really just a few conjugations and nothing really stuck except for the alphabet. And like, I could like really slowly read stuff. Um, but there was no comprehension because I just didn't know the words. It was just, I can kind of sound it out. And I didn't even know all the, like the pronunciation rules because Korean is, is mostly, uh, when you read something, you read it as it's written. It's, it's just phonetic as opposed to English where there's like knife and night and night and dough and stuff like that. Um, so definitely not able to comprehend anything. Um, and even now at this point, it's like, yeah, my comprehension has gotten so much better. Uh, but I'll, I, I probably won't even understand, um, like a quarter of what's going on. And especially when it's audio input. So when somebody's having a conversation or when somebody's speaking, it's so much harder than reading because it's kind of like it's there and it's gone as opposed to, to when it's written down, it's kind of permanently there and you can take your time to process it. Um, and the same thing for writing. Yeah, I would say like for people that maybe haven't tried learning a language before or haven't done an intensive language study before, I, I feel like reading reading versus listening is akin to like shooting a, a stationary target versus a moving target. Mm-hmm. Like when you are reading, it's a stationary target. You just have to like really focus and concentrate. You can take as much time as you need yes. and you just got to hit the bullseye. Mm-hmm. But with listening you know you're like watching it move and it's like dynamic and Mm. and you have to really pay attention to every single thing but you have to do it in real time yeah and so i think that's the biggest difference between like reading versus listening input yeah i think that's a good way to frame it um and in that respect like do you feel as though that skill of taking real-time input and and putting out real-time output has that improved? Like, what what do you say your current Korean level is? Is that the final question for this round? Yes, it is. Um, when I talk about language levels, if we're going to, like, use a scale, there's something called the CEFR. And do you know what the CEFR is? I, I don't. Okay. So the CEFR stands for the common... Well, for listeners, too. Um, the CEFR is the Common European Framework of Reference for Languages. And it's basically an international standard that people use to grade how much you know of any language. It doesn't just apply to English or Korean. It can be applied to any language. Mm-hmm. So it's a six-point scale. A1 is the lowest level for beginners, and then it goes A2, E1, B2, C1, and then C2 is at the top. Mm. C2 is like near native. You're basically like a native speaker, um, and, and it's just very, very advanced. So I'd say I'm like A2 bordering on B1 as my current level. Um but of course, I am lacking in a lot of areas. In some areas, I'm more A2. Some areas, I'm more B1. Moving on to round two, why we're learning Korean. Uh, the first question, how has your attitude towards Korean changed over the years? I guess um, it's changed dramatically, to put it simply. When I was young, probably up until like college age-ish, um, I... Not knowing Korean gave me a lot of anxiety and that anxiety of like not knowing Korean transferred onto like Korean itself 
uh, which is not fair. And in hindsight, like I had a lot of other things that I was dealing with um, that contributed to that. But in general, like it changed from a very, from a place of like a lot of anxiety and and fear to an attitude of like embracing. Um, and, And that switch was not immediate. That switch took maybe like a year or so. Uh, part of which was in Korea, and and my experience in Korea contributed a lot to my change in attitude. Over the years, though, I would say that for the majority of my life, Korean was a point of a lot of stress, particularly because whenever we would go to the family functions, we wouldn't be able to communicate. And um, for a variety of factors, like my thought process would go, I don't know Korean, I feel really uncomfortable, this is really stressful, I just need want to be in an English speaking environment again. When my thought process in hindsight, I wish would have been, I don't know Korean. This is really uncomfortable. I should learn Korean so I can participate and join in, in this community. And so, you know, looking back, that's something that I wish I had been more open to, but it's something that I've changed now and that I'm happy I'm changed. I've changed. But what about you? Has your attitude changed at all or like not yet or a little bit? I would say that my attitude has changed more so kind of out of necessity because in in contrast to what you were saying about in contrast to what you were saying about family gatherings and such I never really felt a whole lot of anxiety about the situation it was just kind of like oh I need to make sure I have one of our cousins who can speak both English or in Korean or I need to have mom there with me in order to be able to translate for me um but it was always just kind of like oh I'm in the situation this is kind of like weird I don't really understand what's going on but we're we're done now so that it's okay um but it has shifted in the past few months because you know I have to I want to know Korean in order to kind of navigate Korea myself on a daily basis and, and communicate uh with maybe some of the other teachers at the school or even um just being able to order food for myself in Korea especially if I'm not in a an urban area if it's a rural area uh, i might struggle a little bit more if i don't know korean um but going to korea is kind of one of the big reasons why i am learning korean question number two why what would you say are your top two to three reasons for learning korean i would say um, unlike you um my reasons are no longer for going to korea i think if you had asked me before like a year and a half ago before i went to korea when i was applying Mm -hmm. i'd be like yeah like Going to Korea is why I'm learning Korean, um, which is a very reasonable and and very direct answer. But I think more than that, my biggest reason for learning Korean is for me. Um, I think it's been a big part of my journey as a person. Uh, as with anything that you invest a lot of time with, it helps develop certain character traits. And for me, language learning has developed a lot of patience and a lot of humility, uh, which are two things I'm in dire need of at all times. So it's been uh, it's been great. For those of, I know this is an audio format, so you guys can't see, but DJ just like, David just just nods his head and it's like, yep, yep, you need that. Um, but I, I think that's my biggest reason for learning Korean is that it's been a big part of my personal journey and growth as a person. The second biggest reason would probably be with family. Um, when I was in Korea, I had the opportunity to meet with our grandmother, who we haven't seen in like, what, over 10 years, maybe more. Um, and so I had the opportunity to to visit with her and, and to spend time with her and knowing Korean at that point was so life-changing, I guess, to put it simply. 
the fact that I was able to talk with her and have a conversation with her and be able to spend time with together uh, without our mom, because our mom has always served as kind of like the intermediary translator, but to be able to communicate directly with my grandmother has been, and my grandfather as well, um, has been really, really special. And so mm. I would say that was my, those are my top two reasons uh, for learning Korean is, is for myself and for my family. Do you have any additional reasons besides like going to Korea? Yeah, I, I would say one of my reasons is similar to yours uh, in that I want to learn Korean in order to be able to communicate with family. Um, as much as I didn't feel it was ever really a problem uh, for me growing up, I still want to be able to speak Korean um, to our, our Korean grandma and grandpa, right? There's something special about speaking somebody's mother tongue to them. Uh, and I think that's just universal regardless of what language it is. Uh, there's like a kind of a special relationship and a special acknowledgement that you're kind of reaching out to this person and, and um, taking yourself out of your comfort zone to be able to communicate with them, which is for any language, I think just a, a really cool thing that comes of that. Next question. Have you ever had any doubts or wonder if it's worth learning as an adult? Have you ever considered just quitting? Yes. And before I go on, I want to know your answer. I don't think that there's really been any doubts for me it's just like do i feel like i have the time or is this a priority for me in my life right now um mm. so recently because i have gotten my job offer and it's you know it's guaranteed that i'm going pretty much guaranteed that i'm going to korea it's kind of like oh the pressure is on i should prioritize this right now um but i don't ever think of it as oh i don't really want to do this so i should just quit it's usually, I'll kind of pick this up at a later time and we'll just see where it goes. But now I know it's worth learning and so it's a priority. Sometimes it seems like it's like a slow fade, right? Like it's like, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. Or like, mm -hmm. I don't, I need to do this right now. You know, it becomes a slow fade as opposed to like a very clear and indecisive decision. Yes. It's definitely been something that I've I've thought about like extensively in 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 understanding my skill set, my personal skill set, and what I want to use that for. But I do come back to my reasons that we just talked about um, in the last question. And it's worth it because it is for me as a person and not for my career and not for anything else. Those other things are benefits. Like, yes, it will help with my job search. Yes, um, this experience of living in Korea and working internationally will help me in the future. And the people that I meet and, and things like that um, do play into my network and, and my social network. But Overall, it's it's for me. And so I whenever I have doubts, I do think of that um, and just remember that I, my purpose in, in doing this for my own development. Moving on to question four, I think we talked about this a little bit earlier, but culturally, how do you think learning Korean plays into your Korean American identity in the context of both Korean and American culture? I think we have very different experiences on this question mm -hmm. for a couple of reasons. One, we went to two different universities. I went to uh, one of the largest universities in the country in um, in our state. And then you went to another university that has a more present, I guess, like Asian American community, um, I would say, possibly a more diverse international uh, program, especially. So... I think that played into our ideas of Korean American culture and Asian American culture as a whole. In 
My experience with Asian American communities, people tend to judge you based off of how much or how little you can speak your your heritage language. And it's like, oh, you can't speak Korean? You're not really Korean American or you're not really Korean because you don't speak Korean. And so I think that is a very um, destructive mindset in the sense that it like tears down that community and makes that community less diverse because it limits the amount of people that can, that are welcome and that can participate in those kinds of activities. I think it's different for you, right? Because I think you had a much different experience with the Asian American orgs. Yes. Um, actually, my school has had less of an Asian population than your school did, um, just percentage wise. However, I was more involved because I chose to like invest my time into those organizations and I had a lot of friends um, who are part of those orgs. Uh, however, kind of in contrast to what you're saying about your school, the organizations at my school, it was kind of a, a mutual understanding that we're all Asian Americans and all at different levels. Uh, and so it wasn't as much of a comparison game as I think what you experienced. I think at the university that I went to, there was more of a problem with kind of seeing uh, Asian Americans against like international students, like the the more as non-hyphenate Asians, right? Um, because it's kind of, I think it's a perceived perception of one group thinks they're more or less of something than the other. Uh, and I, I think that's what caused more problems where I was than necessarily like in group kind of saying, oh, if you don't speak that much Korean, you're not really Korean American. Uh, it was more so of, oh, I bet the Korean international students think that we Korean Americans are like really uneducated and stuff like that. And just to clarify, like your thoughts of like them judging you were in your head, not something mm -hmm. that they actually acted on. Yes. Yeah. I'd never encountered an international, like a Korean international student who, you know, even acts, acted in like a hostile way towards me or kind of like looked, up, looked down upon me. They were like, oh, you don't speak Korean? Oh, that's really interesting. Um, so you just, you speak English at home with your parents or you kind of like, Oh, where did you grow up? Oh, you grew up in a rural area? Have you ever ridden a horse? That kind of stuff, right? So it's it's kind of like a genuine interest in the differences between somebody who looks so similar to you and theoretically should be similar to you, but there's something there's something different about them, right? Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think that a lot of people can relate to or a lot of Asian Americans can relate to mm -hmm. that of like being not really in the same community as like Asians that are that are born and raised in Asia, but not completely being like the same as what we consider mainstream American culture mm. and having a lot of differences there. I was talking with one of my um, Fulbright cohort members from last year. He also spoke a very high level of Korean because he had learned it at home at a young age. Later on, when I talked to this 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 um, Fulbrighter again, I explained that like how. How, I, I didn't know how I felt about how Koreans had perceived me. And this was before going before going into like my school, my placement. And, and he said, you will never know enough Korean for them. That was something that like was really impactful for me because it, it, it required me to set my own goals and, and reevaluate my own reasons for learning Korean. Absolutely. And I think that's something that's difficult to kind of understand until you get there because I don't necessarily understand it there definitely is 
kind of a worry in my mind where I think to myself, well, how are just Koreans going to perceive me as a Korean American who honestly really doesn't have much of a clue about what's going on in Korea? Yeah, I think that's something that you'll definitely be able to explore more once you're there. And um, I'm curious, like, we we both know people that are Korean Americans, you more so. Uh, you have more Korean American friends than I do. But do you like know anybody's experience of like going to Korea and how they were perceived as Korean Americans besides me besides me mm -hmm. yeah I have uh multiple friends who um aren't necessarily in the same boat pretty much all of my Korean friends uh speak better Korean than me there's only one that I can think of that doesn't speak Korean at all um and, and for the most part it's when they go to Korea and they're with their Korean family um Korean family members will often speak very candidly about like one's appearance or uh, physical features, things like that, or even just about their lives in general. Um, but for the most part, a lot of the Korean American friends that I have just felt a lot of pressure from their families to kind of uh, be more Korean, right? That expectation. But I think from my overall, I think from kind of my experiences with you hearing from you and then my friends experiences most of the time my friends were with their families um and so it's a very different cultural experience than being out with just other koreans who aren't your family i agree that it's different when you're with family because i, I even people that like you're not related to will randomly come up to you and give you and give you their opinion on very personal aspects of, the, of your life like i have had Ajuma, like a middle-aged woman in the in the market, like asked me detailed questions about like my dating life, my personal life, my family, like where I work, what I do, and then like give me advice on it. And mm. I'm like, I don't even know your name. Like you're you're just the the person selling me like side dishes in, in the market. Um, but I think one of the things that I remember before going to Korea was hearing a lot of stories from my Korean American contacts who had really bad um, encounters, mm -hmm. especially those that were half Korean mm. and visited Korea because they were not accepted at all. Like people would, strangers would come up to them and be, and whenever they had a conversation, they'd be like, why is your Korean so bad? You should know Korean. You're a Korean person. And mm. and so that kind of like very upfront um, and, and cultural, like cultural liberty to say such things was really hard for them and, and really made them question a lot of their Korean-American identity. Moving on to question five, how do you want to use Korean in the future? What level of Korean do you want to get to? Hmm. I, I'll answer the first half of that question first. Uh, I want to use Korean in the future, like in my career. I would love to work internationally and um, be involved in, in possibly like government endeavors or business endeavors. Um, but to work internationally with Korean is something that I would love to do in the future. Um, to do that, I have to get to a pretty substantial level. So the second half of that question with the level, I want to be pretty advanced. I need to be able to like live everyday life completely and, and comfortably in Korean. But on top of that, like an, a level of academic Korean is something that I would need as well. Academic and professional and business. Um, and to that end... I think that I will have to do a lot more training and a lot more work and study. Um, and eventually, I, I do want to become as fluent as a non-native speaker can be. 
I think for me personally, it goes back to the question of have you ever had any doubts or wonder if it's worth learning? Because after the year that I spent in Korea teaching English um, and maybe another year renewing that, coming back to the States, I kind of wonder like, in what capacity will I really ever be able to use this again, right? Other than maybe at family events, but for the most part, there's not really anything in my life that requires me to speak Korean. Yeah, and like, I think it's also good to set time goals. So, you know, mm. your goal is for a year. Your goal is to be like conversational and able to get around and do da- basic daily things in a year. Yes. Um, And like to put a timeline on like my goal, my goal will take easily five to 10 years to mm. reach that level of fluency that I want eventually will be a very long process. So I think it's good to have like both short-term like yours and then long-term goals like mine where, you know, you're breaking down long-term goals into short-term goals or, you know, just seeing where it takes you. I think that's like, those are both really good approaches Mm -hmm. to learning a language. Alrighty, this has been the Hey Day podcast. Thank you for joining us for this seventh episode. This is the first in a two-part series on learning Korean. This week, we finished rounds one and two. So join us next week where we talk about how we're learning Korean and some resources that you can use to start your own language learning journey. See you next week. Annyeong! This podcast and the views and opinions expressed within are the sole views and opinions of the creators and are not associated or affiliated with the Fulbright Program or the U.S. Department of State.